Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. Well, take your Bible. Let's, uh, let's look at John 4 to begin with. We're in this little mini-series uh, on, uh, on, uh, on our focus and vision and the question of what are we supposed to be doing and who are we as a church. And uh, we're going we're gonna to study this uh, over the next three or four weeks. And we're going to begin today with uh, priority number one, and that is worship. It's, uh, it's the ultimate priority in life. And uh, Jesus, in John chapter 4, uh, speaks of this so clearly, of the nature and purpose and manner of worship, there in, in addressing the woman at the well, there in Samaria, uh, when his disciples had left him to go get something to eat, here he is talking to a, an outcast of a woman. And John writes more of... Uh, uh, of worship and worshiping here than in the rest of his gospel. And, uh, and we do well to note that, for it will help us in this whole question of, uh, of worship. And so I'd like to read it. Take John 4, and let's look at verse 1. I want to quickly move through these, and uh, we'll see the setting, and then see our Lord's words, and then we'll go into the sermon from that. So John chapter 4, verse 1, the Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized him, but his disciples. And when the Lord learned this, he left Judea and he went back once more into Galilee. Now he had gone through Samaria uh, and he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, uh, near the plot of ground Jacob uh, had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired, what a great, let me stop. Remember, he's God, he's man, he's the anthropic person, and he really can identify with us. He knew what it was to grow tired. He wept. And with that, he knew hunger. And here, John tells us he was tired. And in verse 6, pick it up, said, tired as he was from the journey, he sat down by the, the well. It was about the sixth hour, that's 12 noon. And when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not have association with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well's deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons, his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. 
And he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is that you have had five husbands. The man that you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship him is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship uh, the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Now notice these verses. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Well, worship, the first priority as we think about this. You know, one thing that that amazed me a number of years ago when uh, I had the privilege of serving as an associate pastor and more than that as chairman of my department, we would uh, monthly have academic uh, affairs meeting with the academic dean. And each of the department chairs would sit around the table with the dean and we'd deal with all kinds of of issues in the academia world, uh, new programs, issues, problems, and all that kind of thing. But the thing that surprised me about all of that at that level was how often we continually brought up the question of who are we and what are we doing here? What's this all about? What are we making? Why why has God raised this up as as a school and as a seminary? You would think that pretty bright people, highly educated, would not have to keep going back to ground zero one trying to remind ourselves What is it that we're trying to do here anyway? Are we making some sort of new mousetrap or a widget of some sort? No, we are in the business of educating, and uh, it took us right back to our purpose again. Well, rightfully so, the reason that we kept going back to that is, and you can see easily from church history, is our tendency is to forget our beginning moorings in purpose and to sort of gradually meander off. And we begin well, but we're way over here, you know, doing something like we never began to do back here, and we got away from it. When you look at a lot of churches today, there are a lot of things that go on in the name of worship that probably are not worship at all. You know, they have the title and the name, and certainly on the marquee it says 11 o'clock it takes place in here, But I wonder what the Lord thinks about that. And how did that happen? And how did so many get far away? And our idea of ritual and liturgy and stand up and sit down and fold your hands and kneel and take this cup and eat that bread and do this and do that. And, you know, in the ceremony, and we easily think somehow the ceremony and the pop and the circumstance and and maybe the beauty of of a great building, and some of them are beautiful with beautiful stained glass, high ceilings and 
in the majesty of God, unless you're worshiping the building, right? All these things can contribute to worship, but sometimes they can somehow become, in the thoughts of people, wrongly, that's what worship is. And it's not at all. It isn't. The church is not the building. The church is the people organized and called out to be God's people in a certain area. Worship. It's the priority of life. Grace, community, and worship. Well, it's very common today in your introduction, you see that, for people to attend a worship service, what? To get something out of it. How many times have you said that? I didn't get anything out of pastor's sermon. I am clueless as to what he was trying to say. I don't even think he knew what he was saying. I didn't get anything, get anything out of. Okay, people talk that way a lot, don't they? You don't, but let's pretend you know people that do, right? <laughs> Ours is a day, I remind you, of never-ending entertainment. It's never been like this. People hardly read today. They're, they just want to turn it on and sit down and go into the world of amusement. You know what that means? Muse means to think. A is the negation of it. It's a world of non-thinking. You just entertain me. And boy, Americans like never before in human history. I mean, we're always plugged in. Have you noticed that? People with their iPods, their phones, they're texting. They're texting, calling, and driving. God help us at the same time. They can't, they can't unplug. We talk to our own children about this. You know, goes to bed watching a movie. and You've got to unplug. There's got to be quiet. You've got to have periods of where you, you can listen to the voice of God. You can reflect and think. It's not noise 24-7 in this crazy entertainment day in which we live. Far worse than the Romans with their circuses and their free bread over in Rome. Never-ending entertainment. And I remind you that's part of our big problem often, I'm sure, that entertainment mindset spills over into our worship of God. It does. It becomes very man-centered. Worship is never to be man-centered. Man said to me once that he was offended in my pastoral prayer. They thought I prayed too long. And I reminded him with a gentle rebuke. I wasn't speaking to you. Engage your mind to follow along. Don't meander off thinking about Twinkies or going to the beach or problems. Focus on God. It's God-centered. It's not man-centered. It's not for your entertainment. We are focusing on God. That's worship. But don't you see, we're so saturated in this entertainment day that we just kind of walk in, park ourselves in the pew, and sort of we easily think that. We go to a big football game, and there are 83,000 people up at Buffalo Stadium. Most of them are, are overweight, under-exercised. They get winded walking up to their seat, right? 22 people on the field, incredible specimens, muscle, of brawn and brilliance, and we watch them, and they're beating themselves to death. That's not the church. It's not 22 people. Watch pastor. He's going around. He's going. He's crazy. Look at him. Go, pastor. Go, pastor. Go. That's not worship. It's not a few people doing this, and the rest are spectators. 
It's not, you know, State College. We're not watching Go Joe Pa, win us another one. That's not it. Worship is the whole community coming and focusing on God alone. Uh, one man writes, and I, I love it, he said, the perfect worship service is where we would be almost unaware of everything else that goes on. Why? Because our focus is totally upon God. That's worship. That really is. And we're going to talk about that. So we shouldn't be saying, you know, uh, I, I didn't, did you get anything out? Worship is never to be man-centered. We ought to be asking, here it is, I wonder what God thought of our worship. And those of us who worship today, worship essentially is not getting anything. It's giving, giving to God. That's what it is. Did you know that your Christian, that as a Christian, your worship is the very highest activity that you and I engage in in all our life? It is. It is number one. It's a priority. It is the priority in life more than anything else. And some of you are very hard workers. You say you like to work, 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 and work's valuable. I did add way too much idle time on the recovery. It drove me crazy. It drove me crazy. I discovered how much I like work and how much I don't like not working. Okay? But work is not the priority of life. It's not. Someday you'll lay your tools down and you'll never pick them up again, ever, ever. It's not making money. It's not playing sports. That's not the number one activity of life. It's not entertainment. It's not raising your children. Some of these things are okay in their place, of course. But number one is the worship of God. That's it. That's the number one priority. It's the highest and best activity that you can engage in, that we engage in as a church, and then you throughout your days. We'll talk about that. It's the highest. We must resist the crowd that seems to what? They work at their play. Oh, boy, don't they? Boy, they work at their play. They buy, spend all kinds of money and this and that, and do all kinds of things and all kinds of that. I'm not against that. But that it shouldn't be we work at our play and then play at our worship. It shouldn't be that way. We, it ought to be quite the opposite, the ultimate priority in life. Jesus helps us to understand the nature and necessity of worship, telling us that God is actually, this is God the Father, is actually seeking men and women who will properly, rightly worship him. Now, in case you miss the significance of that, you can read your whole Bible through, and you'll nowhere else discover uh, find God seeking his children to do anything else. And so by that, I think it's fair to say it's the number one priority in life. God the Father seeks his children to worship him in spirit and in truth. According to the word of John 4, we just read that, God desires worship above all else. Well, three questions, just easy questions helping us to, to uh, three que- helping us to properly engage in this, the ultimate priority of life, that is the worship of our God. Three questions. To properly engage. I want you to leave here clearly understanding this and then asking the Lord to help you to do this. Number one, what is worship? Well, we've already uh, 
indicated. First, it's not merely showing up at some building on Sunday morning for a service. That's not worship. Now, it can be, can be an avenue for it, but that's not the sum total. That's not it. You clear on that? Even though they, we may advert worship service, if you see our ad in the paper on Friday, come join us for worship. You know, Sunday morning at 9.30. Did I say 9.30? Some of you still don't. 9.30, right. And I rhyme you, second of all, B, it's not a spectator sport. It's not, uh, as I said, like the great athletic arenas. It's not the Phillies game. You're not in the stands watching. You're not a fan. You're a participant, every one of us. I'm a prompter, a leader in it as pastor teacher, but every one of us are. Uh, you are engaged in worship. Uh, see, if, you know, if you lived in an English-speaking world 500 years ago when English was early forming, uh, you would use not the word uh, worship, you'd use the word worth, worthship. And maybe that's not a bad idea. The word has been contracted a bit. Uh, using this word would mean that uh, you are assigning to God his true worth. And that kind of indicates it better, doesn't it? Uh, it's the same as praising him. It's the same as giving glory to God. I mean, it's expressing to God his greatness, his wonder, his awe. Uh, praising him. Look at it. And so one, uh, worship is really the celebration of God. Alone is worthy of our highest adoration and praise. He's great. You're not. It drives me crazy when experts, so-called, you know, you know, you know what an expert is, right? Somebody 50 miles from home. The home crowd knows them. They're like, no, I don't think so, Johnny. Go sit down, you know. Like, yeah. well, the people get off the bus here, what, just a few shakes ago. That's birth, off the bus, right? And they read a few books, and they get some letters after their name, and they make such gross statements. There's no God. Uh, thanks, Mike. You know, sit down. God's not impressed. You know, they'll say that. And they'll hire him in universities and settings, and, and people will arrogantly, so arrogantly, walk around breathing God's good air, enjoy the sunshine, the rain, the food, the clothing, all of life. We stand on a hunk of rock that's hung by nothing. It's, if that's not bad enough, the inside is molten hot. You know, it spews out occasionally. Mount St. Helens and others, we see that. And here we are, moving at incredible speeds, in God's great universe that is so enormous, it staggers our mind. And people make such arrogant pontifications, uh, denigrating God as if somehow they're God. It isn't the celebration of man. We are tiny, small, and puny. The psalmist had it right in Psalm 8. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what, can I insert, what in the world is man that you even think about him? The son of man that you care for him and provide. That's the right perspective. And so when we gather, we celebrate the greatness and wonder of God, who alone is worthy. Uh, two, it is praising God for his love. And our God is the great lover. It's not Romeo and Juliet. It's not the love story. It's not some of these sappy songs we sing and enjoy, right? And we do. I'm not the great lover, though I love my wife very dearly. God is the great lover. He is. He created us that way. 
God so loved that he gave. He loves, he loves the likes of us. Holy cow. He's, we praise him for his love when we sing of it. His wisdom. Only God could do that. The amazing way that he made us. His beauty. You know, God is beautiful. When we see God in heaven and the glory of all that in colors and the spectrum that we can't even receive now. We receive and are able through the sensory sight to see only a very narrow section of the spectrum. And a part of that we see is color. I just can't imagine the glory and the splendor of heaven and the glory of God and the, and the arts and the music and, the, and, and all that God has designed. It's, he's a God of beauty. We can look at a beautiful flower and smell the, the aroma of that. It's God who has made that. And he's given us the ability to appreciate that. You know, mosquitoes and birds and all that, they don't say, well, oh, look at that beautiful roses. They don't. But God has made us in his likeness, and we can see it, and it's objectively really there, and it's really beautiful. Isn't it? It's beautiful. How about kisses from little Children, grandchildren, they are beautiful, you know? I mean, all these things of life. God has got a beauty. We worship him in the beauty. God's a God of truth. God says what he means, and he means what he says. So we ought to be truth speakers always. We tend to shade it. We're white lies. We lie. We hide. God, help us in this thing. Be truth speakers. God is a God of truth. There is heaven. He really means it when he says, absent. look, when you die, if you're in Christ, you shut your eye. You don't go into unconsciousness. You're fully aware you're taken instantly to heaven. Never fear about that. Never worry about it. I'm with you always. You're mine, and I am yours. God speaks truthfully. God is a God of holiness. The whole tabernacle in the Old Testament, the temple, was just that, to teach the nation of Israel. Listen, I'm holy, you're not, stay out. You can't come in to the inner, inner holy of holies. One day of year, the high priest could. God is holy, he's absolutely distinct. That means he's, he's different, he's in a league all his, himself. We worship God and sing that Psalm 99 is the holy, holy psalm. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And we, we express that as a, as a congregation to God and sing back truths and, and speak of things that are biblically true and celebrating the greatness of God. He's a God of compassion. Look at the Lord weeping over the city of Jerusalem. It's overwhelming to me to see that. Or Lazarus' tomb. You know, he can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He knows what I'm going through. He knows every tear. In fact, the psalmist says, every one of our tears, he bottles up. He knows them all together. And there are sadness in life, disappointment. All may fail, but Jesus never. You know, he's a God of compassion. Isn't it so great? Some of you have studied other false religions, and there's nothing to any of them. There isn't. Let God be true in every man alive. And if you study that, none of them have any sort of concept of the loving, gracious, merciful, kindness of God. That's God alone. It's amazing, really. Now, I've studied and ministered in, in, in Qatar, you know that, 
And there is a, that uh, the God of Olive is really the God of the worship of Dean. There's no God Olive and all that nonsense. And those people are in bondage of fear. Not our God. Our God is a loving God. We love him because he first loved us. We love each other because he loves us. Paul said, live a life of love. Love each other from the heart. Isn't it great? Man, man. We worship. He's a God of mercy. He's kind to us. He holds back what we really deserve. We deserve to get whacked out of here, off to the lake of fire. He's a God of grace. He's a God of power. He's not a puny God. And so we worship him as such, thinking rightly about who he is. And we come to worship service with hearts full of expectation. There ought to be an expectation. We're going to Worship God as a body today. I'm going to sing. We're going to share testimonies of what he's done and doing and what we're hoping. We're going to pray for the needs of our people and in the world that we know. And we're going to hear God's word, and it's going to touch us and change us. And we're not going to leave here. We're not going to be the same. It's the ultimate priority of life, worshiping God. And I hope that you come to see that and embrace that. Everything else is by far secondary. Well, D, it means then that since, since it is the highest priority that you and I can possibly engage in, we must prepare for it. I was an old Boy Scout, not very good, not like some of you guys. Some of you guys are Eagle Scouts. I was first class patrol leader <clears throat> until I led the patrol to the Girl Scout camp one day, and I got demoted. I lost my, uh, my, lost my thing of majigger there. But be prepared, right? The Boy Scout model. Do you remember that, Mark? Dave, you remember these guys were real scouts. They were Eagle Scouts. Uh, they didn't even associate with my like, uh, my kind. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out how to tie half those knots anyway. I <laughs> Be prepared. Uh, we've got to prepare ourselves for worship. You have to prepare if it's the most important thing. Listen, if you were going to be invited down in the Oval Office, I don't care what you think of the president or not, I dare to say you'd, uh, you know, you'd clean up pretty good, wouldn't you? You wouldn't just change the oil and uh, check the tire and crawl under and look at the muffler and say, oh, yeah, I'm going down to, you know, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue and mosey on in. No, never happened. You'd, you'd, get, you'd clean up real good. You would. You'd prepare. You'd prepare. And we need to prepare for worship. If it's the ultimate and the highest thing that you and I do, as a church family, and then otherwise, we need to prepare to do that. It's like a great athlete preparing for a contest. I mean, uh, if you played football, you know as I do, we prepared all week long uh, for the next team. You know, we did conditioning, we ran drills, we worked on plays, we thought they were soft in that area, we were going to, you know, Danny, you know how that is. We, we, you, you do that. Skull talk, you, you got the scouting reports, and... Uh, you prepare. In wrestling, it was the same thing. We'd wrestle, we prepare. You get your body and weight, you got to make weight, you got to get conditioned, you got to run the stairs, you got you to gotta work out, you got to win the wrestle off, and then who am I facing Tuesday night? Oh, it's Eddie Briggs from Niagara Falls. Oh, man, he's a leg rider. Uh, I got to watch this, got to watch that, got to, you know, and so you prepare, right? So you're in the game. You just didn't walk out on the mat, you'd been dead meat. Dead meat. You know, and if you're dating a girl, if you did that, 
please don't show up tonight. There's going to be a massacre, and it's not going to look pretty, and I don't want you to see me yelling for my mama on the mat. You prepare. You prepare for that. You prepare for worship. It's not rocket science. Well, on Saturday. So how do you prepare? You prepare on Saturday. Okay, can I say it? And sometimes it'll happen to get yourself to bed. Get the bed early. Don't be up watching, you know, the scary movie at 3 a.m., you know, and you're afraid to close your eyes because you'll be sleeping during worship. That doesn't honor the Lord. Get to bed. Try and get to bed earlier. Do that. Get your rest. I say that, and uh, how it's very important. Otherwise, you're sleeping here. When's he going to finish? I'm so tired. My eyes are heavy. It's a high priority. Prepare your body through proper rest. Prepare your heart. Have prayer the night before, especially. Pray for the pastor. Lord, I know he doesn't have much to say usually, but pray that there's something, just something, might make an impact on my life through your word. Pray. Pray that way. Spurgeon said, the reason God uses me is my people pray for me. That's what I need. I need your prayers. I pray every, every particularly Sunday morning, Lord, breathe life into my dead, feeble words. If it's just this, we might as well not even show up. You know, just that it makes an eternal impact. It saves lost people that are here in the great number. It causes us to grow to be more like Jesus. Sanctification. That's what it's all about. And so pray. Get your heart ready. Deal with sin. You have sin in your heart. You harbor it there. You had a fight with somebody, husband and wife. You had a fight with sister. had a fight or, or an anger or something else. Whole list of things, right? We sin. Deal with it. You come in here, and it's not, don't be standing up singing praises to God. God looks at your heart and goes like, mm, I don't think so. The old, I told you before, the old expression Puritans say, never did God's people more lie than when they sing. We sing the great truths, we sing a fellowship, and if it's not right in our heart, we're standing there lying. You know, don't just sing the words, think about what you're singing and sing it intelligently. Have your heart ready. Prepare, prepare, come with expectation. Otherwise, otherwise, you'll be faking it. You'll be pretending. Don't you hate fakes? Pretenders. Pretenders. Don't be a pretender. Love the Lord with all your heart. Come with an expectation. Make sure your heart is rested and ready and clean. Your body is rested, and you come with the expectation to genuinely worship God together so you don't fake it. Well, that's what worship is. It's a celebration of all that God is and all that he has done. Well, second, what's the second question helping us to properly engage? How do we worship? Since it's participatory, how do we participate in it? Well, Jesus told us in our text in John 4 uh, that we're to worship God really in two ways, in spirit and in truth. That's what he told the woman at the well in verse uh, 23. Well, what's, what's it mean to worship the Lord in spirit? Well, it doesn't mean uh, in the Holy Spirit. Now, a lot of times the text will refer to the Spirit, but we know here that it's not the Holy Spirit. We appreciate the Holy Spirit. The Spirit 
draws us to the conviction of sin, shows us our need of a Savior, regenerates our heart, that's new birth, that causes us to be saved, and we respond with, we believe the gospel, then there's repentance, and then he's with us, equips us, and deals with us, enables us, seals us, baptizes us, all the work of the Spirit. But that's not what he's talking about here. And how do I know that? That the article, the, would appear. That's the, art, the definite article is, is missing. And therefore, he's talking about something else. Number two, he's talking about human spirit. He's talking about your spirit. You know, we're composed of body, soul, and spirit, material and immaterial. And he's talking about that immaterial part of us, our spirit. Many take their body to a place called worship, but worship may or may not happen. It's more than parking your body into a pew. It's your spirit he's talking about. We must worship God in our inner person. It's not the soul. Let me delineate here a little bit. The Bible indicates that our soul is the center of our personality. It's the center of our emotions. But that's not the spirit of us. The immaterial part of our spirit is that which is quickened, Ephesians 2, made alive, and given the vertical capability of communing and having fellowship and friendship with God through Christ when we come to be believers in the Savior. It's not simply emotions. Now, some people confuse that. They'll, the, uh, a service will have maybe uh, drama and maybe have some tear-jerking stories and and we can be moved. You know, a good speaker can move a, a, a people, an audience, a congregation, move all to tears. And that can happen, and that doesn't signify worship at all, you know. Now, tears can be a part of genuine worship, and, and they ought to be. But just because we're moved in our soul, our emotions, and, we, and it was a sad story, a broken story, or something that that really touched us in the human plane, socially, emotionally, that doesn't necessarily mean that worship took place. You understand the difference there. But uh, it's in our renewed spirit. Uh, true worship occurs in the renewed spirit as we commune with God through what? Singing, as we sing to Him. It doesn't matter if you have a terrible voice that you need to carry a tune in a bucket is about all you're good for now. Sing to the Lord, sing. He designed you, made you that way. As you pray, as you praise Him and give Him thanks, as you give not only yourself, your all, your, your tithes and offering, and then as you give your attentiveness to actively listening to the sermon uh, as His Word is unfolded. This is what God is saying. This is what it means. This is how you and I apply it in our life. And that's uh, my job in my burden to feed the sheep of God. And that's what it is. So our, our attention is totally focused on God. Totally. It's not our plans. Some of you resist, thinking, ladies, what are we going to make for dinner? You know, and our minds tend to run ahead, you know, versus what one is speaking and listening. We hear it. I know what he's going to say next. So you kind of go ahead to dinner. Then you come back and visit me again. This kind of thing. It's a matter of disciplining yourself to stay with it, stay focused on God in the sermon, in the singing, in our praying, and all the rest, 
as we celebrate the glory of God. That's what worship means. We give him worth-ship. It's not uh, focusing on our troubles. We all have troubles, but we leave them and we focus on him as we meet with him or our plans and all the rest. And so three, worship really flows from the inside of us, from the depths of our soul, in our spirit, since it's been quickened in Christ, uh, to, to outward. Uh, it is of necessity first eternal. That's what it means by in spirit. Well, in truth, he says, second, well, worship the Lord must be done in truth. Well, what does this mean? They that worship me, worship God, must do so in spirit and in truth. Well, first of all, it says, uh, we must say, and Jim Boyce uh, waxes on this really well, he says, we must be honest, truthfully. Must be truthful worship. It must be honest. It means no faking, no pretending. Let me call your attention to Matthew uh, chapter 15. Do we have that text, uh, Danny? Look at Matthew 15, verse 8. Jesus is uh, rebuking the scribes and the Pharisees who were engaged in a sort of worship uh, in, in that day. And he says to, about those people, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Uh, is it just eight and nine? I think that's all I give you. Yeah. So they were worshiping with their lips. They were faking it. They were pretending it. They were talking about God, but Jesus said it wasn't in their heart. It didn't come from the inside out. And he said what? That's not worship. And so, first of all, we have to say, well, what's it mean to worship in truth? It means we must be honest. No faking, no pretending. God knows everything about me anyway. And so I need to get my heart lined up, as we said earlier in preparation and then as I gather with God's people, it's honest. Second, uh, it is a worship that is informed by the Scriptures. It's according to God's Word. God's Word is truth, and He has told us how we are to approach Him. Not haphazardly, casually, flippantly, but He tells us how we are to do that. There was a period of time in the medieval church where pomp and circumstance and ceremony and all of that took precedent, and uh, people thought they worshipped when they sat, and when they stood, and when they bowed, and when they kneeled, and when they recited something, and, and, and took uh, the Eucharist, and all, all the rest. And, and, and God brought about, through Tyndale, and then Luther, and Calvin, uh, the Great Reformation. And uh, they discovered that the Bible had been pretty well pushed to the side, it was in a foreign language they didn't understand anyway. And, uh, and the men in that day said, now wait a minute, the Scriptures uh, teach us of God, and they're the only thing that point us to salvation. They need to be front and center in the gathering of God's people in this thing called worship, in the worship service. So what they did was there used to be a curtain that hung between the people and the altar, they ripped the curtain down. They got rid of that forever. The altar, they said, we have no altar. Sometimes you'll hear your friends in other places talk about the altar down front. We have no altar. Where's the altar? The altar is the cross of Jesus Christ. The altar, all that Old Testament, prefigured the altar, the final altar on Calvary. 
They had no altar. And what they did was they moved the pulpit. The pulpit had been moved to the side, if there was one. They moved it front and center, and they put an open Bible right on that pulpit. So that in the architectural lines of that building, all lines of their vision would focus to the center, to the pulpit, and on the pulpit was the open Bible, and it was the Bible that pointed the way to Jesus Christ and their need of salvation, and how to live in a way that honors and serves God. Architecture teaches, and the Bible there was brought front and center. And uh, I'll tell you, the tentacles of that are far-reaching. The United States of America, I'm convinced, would not look anything like it does, the things that we enjoy, the privileges of worship, freedom of worship, freedom of speech, freedom of the press. All these things are some of the far-reaching tentacles that came from the 1400s and the 1500s and 1600s as we are the beneficiary of those that came over, our founding fathers that had that heritage, and we enjoy that even today. It's the Bible, the Bible, the truth. And finally, third, of course, true worship, when you think of the truth, uh, is only through Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. So when we say we worship him in truth, it means honestly, no pretense, we're not pretending, what you see is what you get, and then through the dictates of the scriptures, which are front and center in worship, as God prescribes how we are to worship him, and he has, he has told us how to do that, and then finally, and ultimately, is through the end of truth, the great repository of all truth ends in a person, it's Christ. And, and so that's how we worship him, uh, through the cross, through his blood, that we are redeemed, and so we gather in his name. Well, how do we worship? Uh, you know, we, it's only natural for you and I to invite people, and I wish we would do that more, invite people that we are loving and caring for and uh, would love to see them saved. Maybe they are, maybe they're not, maybe you're not sure. To invite them to worship if they don't go to worship. I will say you in to tell you this. That worship is a very uncomfortable thing for those that know not Christ. It's a, the church is the gathering of God's people, but with that, it's only natural to invite others to come. We don't live in a church-going day. Ours is a generation that that's gone. Okay? That's good and bad. We won't go into that. But you ought to invite folks. But think of it. An unsaved person, man or woman who doesn't know the gospel, doesn't know of Christ, and has never need, seen the need to trust him, never seen their sin as God sees. And, uh, and then now they're here. It's a very uncomfortable experience. You remember that? When maybe you gather with God's people before you were saved. And yet in the midst of it, God promises to meet. The Lord said two or three again, he's here. And God will use that to either do one of two things. He'll either draw them to closer to himself and to salvation, or the hardness of their heart will drive them away. Worship. God prescribes it in spirit and in truth. Finally, third and last, the last question, when do we worship? The question, is it to be confined to a building on Sunday morning? Is it? Well, two things here. First, corporate. The corporate, that's when we gather together. We worship when we gather together as a church family. And do you know that it's a command that we are to, to, to gather? 
It's not optional. I'll take anchovies on my pizza, but not, you know, pepperonis, this and that. It's not optional. If you are God's child, it's the ultimate priority, and God commands it. Do we have Hebrews 10.25? Here it is. Uh, Hebrews 10.25, Danny? You got one ahead? Can you go back? There it is. Look at, look at Hebrews 10.25. Uh, and this is in the face of persecution. They showed up. And some of them may have lost their life or got thrown in jail. Oh, you're a Christian? That's what he's saying. Let's not give up meeting together in a church corporately, as some are in the habit of doing. They were afraid of the persecution. But let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching, that we are to gather. Forsake not the, uh, King Jim says, forsake not the assembly of yourselves together, as in matter of some, but we are to gather together. And that we gather, we could gather um, later in the day, but on the morning of the first day of the week, that's where we gather today. Well, Martin Luther wrote, you know, at, my, at, ho- at home in my own house, there's no warmth or vigor in me. But in the church, when the multitude is gathered together, a fire is kindled in my heart. And then he writes, and then I would sing and hum all the days, all the rest of the day. I find myself doing that when our Worship band leads in a song, and I carry the tune. It seems like, guys, it's nearly the last tune that I find myself humming and singing, and uh, that would never have come to me. I appreciate the work of our worship band, all that they do, and they're getting better and better, man. And we appreciate that so much to help us corporately to worship and sing these truths. And, and second, the Psalms tell us what worship looks like in Psalm uh, we don't have time to look, but look at Psalm 95 and 96. Uh, it's, uh, it's singing, and you know, God loves it loudly when we sing. We ought to just raise the roof. I know the acoustics in here, the, you know, the sound gets absorbed, and it's soft in, in, the, in the carpeting, and, and maybe someday, Lord willing, we'll have a worship center and higher ceiling, we'll be able to belt it out, and, and maybe it'll stop at a certain point and sort of Listen to everyone else sing. I'm telling you, it's electrifying. I love that. So very, very much. It's singing and it's shouting even. You know, I said, well, that's not very reverent. Well, read the Psalms. I mean, it was from the heart outward. I mean, some of you are even for the Pittsburgh Steelers, right? Some of you? You go, like, pretty exercise. No, no, no amens on the Steelers. <laughs> you, go, ah! you know, like, and, and we ought to, uh, don't, quite do that, we'll worry about you at worship, but I mean, it ought to be with an exuberance and celebration, and that, oh, I'm so joyful, I'm so, oh, please, please, take some vitamins or do something, your pet pills maybe, it ought to be with exuberance, it ought to be praising, it ought to be clapping, these things are all right, you know, read the Psalms, you'll be amazed. We, we worship in our praying. We play all the instruments. Read Psalm 150. It's filled with gratitude. It's filled with giving and listening to his word and, and, and giving it awe and wonder and the glory of God. It's the highest, ultimate priority in life. And that's what we do here at Grace. That's why it's the first one in the series. To remind you, what is it we do here? Why do we gather? Why, is this a holy huddle? What's the play? Up the middle, around the end, and punt? No, we're here to worship God and to do it with all the gifts and abilities. And, and it's just not this guy or those guys up there. It's all of us. It's participatory. 
All of us, disciplined, prepared, come with expectation. But more than that, and here's the thing, it's not just Sunday morning. It's all week long. That's what B is individually. You and I are to be living sacrifices, offering worship, offerings to God, offering our praise and adoration throughout the week. It ought to flow from us. There's something about being, the, being together as a group and find out, you know, I'm part of something bigger than myself and of my own little world. That's part of the, the, the strength and the encouragement we draw from each other and we need each other. Well, then as we scattle along, we go down the highway and I'm doing my thing, you know, Monday and Tuesday and all that. There's a song in my heart to the Lord and joy and gratitude and I'm sort of half singing, half talking and when things come up, I'm talking to the Lord and praying and seeking His Word and, and, and all of that. So individually, throughout the weeks, 24-7, our life is to be an act of worship. The Lord is to be celebrated, loved and adored all the moments of our life. He is. He is. He should be. And if he's not, may you be rebuked in your heart. And ask the Lord to find out what is it that grinds you from that, and grounds you from being what you ought to be. 724, 24-7. And I just admit the last statement that perhaps the reason why worship fails in the pew is that it failed to occur in our daily routine. Oh, what a great thing when a preponderance of people in a church Worship God and seek Him. I mean, they read their Bibles like pilgrim. In pilgrims, they're reading it all day long. They're doing their business and whatever they're doing, they're like, wow, look at, wow, wow, wow. And they're praying the needs that come. And, and then we get a preponderance of people like that joined together on Sunday morning. It's electrifying. But never read the Word and never think about God and think it's just parking your body like you park your car there, you park your body, and I, I worshiped. And it's like deader than a doornail. What's the matter with those people? You've got to light a fire under their butt. They're dead. They're dead. They just don't know it. I don't want that to be grace. This needs to be an electrifying sweet place where we worship God. Well, lessons for our life. Number one. You cannot worship the Lord unless you are his first his child. And so I remind you, you have to be born again. You have to come to the place where you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Have you done that? You must do that. Whether you're, you're young or old, it matters not. You must be born again. You cannot worship him. Number two, we must work at our worship. We must work at it. Prepare for worship. Come with expectation. Enter into this place with gratitude and leave rejoicing. Isn't it great? The worship and it kind of just flowed out of here. Kind of the cloud nine. You know, you just going, wasn't that great? God met with us. Wow. I was so brokenhearted. I was so discouraged. I was so much in darkness, but just being with God's people and hearing his word and knowing that it met with us and singing and praying. It's lifted my heavy burden. That's what it ought to be. Number three, give yourself to participation in worship. Give yourself to it with passion, actively, and with discipline. It takes discipline. It does. Our minds will wander everywhere. 
really keep them on track. You can do it. You can. You watch a movie for two hours, right? Ah, spellbound. I didn't know what was going to happen next. Your mind is engaged. Your mind needs to be engaged in the worship of God. You can do it. You can do it. Number four, live your whole life 24-7 as a worship unto the Lord. Everything you have is his. The body gave you, the ability, the fact that you live now, all your days, they're his. Live, Lord, I give myself to you today. He must increase, you must decrease. And finally, number five, worship. I remind you one more time. It's the highest, and it's the best activity that you will ever do and that you do. It is. There are a lot of things I enjoy doing. I enjoy time with Faithy. We have date night every week. I enjoy that. I look forward to that. I love playing with my granddaughters when they visit or I see them. I love that. Love to see new places. I love that, right? Love to read good books. Love that. Love the new new things. One day I'm going to learn calculus. I'm still working on it. I bought a study course on it. I'm getting it slowly. I'm getting it. I learned Greek easier than that. But worship is the number one priority in all of life. Your best activity. Wow. 